Jesus is alive. I got a, we got an amen, all right, that was good. Appreciate that from the Christian in the room. Um, so what? So what? So what does that exactly mean that Jesus defeated death? So what does it mean that Jesus resurrected? So what does an event that happened 2,000 years ago have to do for my life today? So what does this, uh, this historical event even what impact does it have on my North American world with the pressures of work and family and finances and the stresses of health and life and relationships? So Jesus is alive. So Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus defeated death. We just sang that. So what? What difference does it make? Last Sunday, Christians all around the world celebrated uh, our biggest holiday in Christianity. Uh, the, the holiday that commemorates the event on which our faith is based and hinges on. It's like the, the biggest day, the resurrection of Jesus. We call that Easter Sunday. It, it is the event that, that launched our faith. It is, it is the event that's, that's kind of everything and and it's so important to me because I, I'm not sure that, that we always teach enough about it, what it means, why it matters, and why it is the linchpin for the Christian faith. It is the central doctrine of the Christian faith. Where Christianity starts, where our faith starts, it, it begins, it commences on the resurrection of Jesus. Christianity is not about following rules. It is not about being good. It is not about uh, living our lives with the teachings of Jesus. It's not that those things aren't important. But if you do all of those things and don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, well... You're not a Christian. We do all those things because Jesus rose from the dead. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, he must be who he says he is. And I, if listen, if anyone predicts their own death and resurrection, I'm doing whatever they tell me to do. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to love my neighbor as yourself. Right? I'm going to do whatever he says. So I follow his teachings because of who he says he is. Being a Christian starts with the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. The very first Christian sermon, the very first Christian sermon that was ever preached happened about six weeks after Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus hung around for 40 days after the resurrection. Did you know that? He hung around for 40 days, and after he ascended into heaven, the very first Christian sermon was given by the apostle Peter to a huge crowd that had gathered around them in Jerusalem. And his message was pretty simple. This is basically what he said. Jesus was more than a prophet because everybody thought he was just a prophet. 
He's like, he's more than a prophet. He indeed was the promised Messiah that God had promised to the Jewish people, now available for all. And if you don't believe me, here's how he proved it, Peter said. This is, this is Peter's closing point, his bottom line. This is what he would have had on the TV screen, okay? This is what Peter said. Here's how we know. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Peter would say, you want to know how I know that he really was the Son of God? You want to know how I know that he is who he says he was, that he is the promised Messiah? Because God raised him to life, and I saw him. We're all, everybody here standing with me, Peter says, I saw him. John saw him. Philip saw him. James saw him. We, oh, Simon the Zealot saw him. Nathaniel saw him. Philip saw him. Thomas saw him. Took a minute, but Thomas saw him. Ask Thomas, like, hey, if you got some doubts, ask him, right? We all saw him, and that's how I know it happened. And it says that everyone listening was cut to the heart, and they said, what should we do, Peter? Oh, my goodness, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. The starting point is the resurrection for the Christian faith, and it still is. But, so what? So, so what? If you are new to faith, new to church, and some of you maybe came to church for the first time last Sunday for a while, or maybe you tuned in for the first time in a while, and you're here and you're kind of just, just dipping your toe into the water of faith, this can seem so kind of out there, and this can seem like, whoa, this is a really big spiritual concept, but this is the linchpin of our faith, and I want you to get this right because the stakes are so high of getting it wrong. I, I, I want you to get this because the stakes are powerful if you get it right. Now, I want to be really careful here because those of you that know me know that kind of my heart is that we're the church, is we're all on the same team, the big C church, the global church. So I want to be really careful here about, um, about how I say this, but uh, my concern with this issue is kind of where this series was born out of. Because I listen to a lot, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I listen to a lot of Christian podcasts, messages, read a lot of books, listen to a lot of music. My world is church world. I'm sure you read a lot of books related to your business and your career. And so maybe you're not in, but sometimes you can kind of hear some things. And so my, my struggle is that some, is what I'm hearing oftentimes about about the resurrection, about God, about who he is in our lives, I, I'm hearing some things that I'm like, oh, 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 that could do some harm. That if you just believe in Jesus, you will have your best life right now. That if you will just, all you need to do is trust God and speak it into the existence. All you need to do is just pray the right prayer and you'll find the healing. You'll get the deliverance. You will get the victory in your life. And friends, that can be dangerous. It, it, it can be problematic because if you bank your faith on that. And so, so I'm struggling with some of what I'm hearing kind of taught in the church about what it means that Jesus defeated death. And it comes out in our music comes out in our music with terms like this, resurrection power. What does that mean? Do I have the power to like pray for a loved one to resurrect? 
What does it mean that I have victory? What does it mean that Jesus is my champion? What does it mean that he defeated death? Now, I know it's really easy to go like, oh, yeah, it's all this modern praise music. That's what's heretical, right? It's sing the old songs. But listen, I grew up on the old songs, and sometimes they raise some questions too. And I've asked Ben and Jenna to just help me with some of what we can hear and how it can go down a little bit of the wrong way. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power. Sing it if you know it. How he made the lame to walk again, and he caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. You know this? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory. That's a good, that's an oldie but a goodie, as they say. But so he caused the blind to see and the lame to walk, and he gave me the victory. So would he give the victory in that way to us now? There's another song that's more modern that talks about victory, and it's like the same thing, like it's got this beautiful message. As long as you're clear on what the victory is. Weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't breathe. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. And I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a the battle belongs to you, Lord. True. But what does it mean you're going to see a victory? And then a few months ago, I heard this song, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what a song. And I could see our whole church singing it. And it really became, it really became the kind of the impetus for this series because of what I was hoping this, it kind of taught us, it's a song called Champion. You are my champion, giants fall when you stand undefeated, 
That's good stuff. And then I heard the bridge. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are we, what are we teaching people? Because I'm not sure it means what God says when he's our champion. So when I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing down. I have the authority. Jesus has given me and when I open up my mouth miracles start breaking out I have the authority Jesus has given me is that what it means that you have victory that you can just open up your mouth in the name of Jesus and miracles will start breaking out. Is that what it means to have victory? It's not that I don't believe in resurrection power. It's not that I don't believe in the victory that we have in Christ or that God is a champion. But if we get this wrong and understand it wrong and live it wrong, and if the church teaches it wrong, it's a good way for people to walk away from faith. If we teach people that God will deliver them from every single hardship in this life, and they thought God that would protect them, and they thought God would heal them, or they thought God would heal grandma, or they thought God wanted good for them, or they thought God that would bless them financially. And the problem is this, they'll walk away from a faith that wasn't actually true. And they'll walk away from a faith that wasn't right. Jesus does give us resurrection power. We do have victory. He is our champion. But there are Ukrainian Christians still dying when bombs land in their living rooms. And there are Christians still dying of cancer even though they prayed for a healing that never comes. And there are Christians who still struggle with depression and anxiety and mental illness. And there are Christians who still get divorced, even though that they pray reconciliation and restoration will happen. And there are still Christians who are foreclosed on their homes. And there are still Christians who experience bankruptcy. So what in the world does it mean that Jesus defeated death? The good news is that you and I are not the only people who have ever wondered this. You and I have not, are not the only Christians who have ever dealt with this tension that like we want it to be true that we could just speak a miracle into existence. We want it to be true that we could just pray a healing into happening and we somehow know it's not. But the Christians that had been alive years or just a few decades after the resurrection of Jesus had the same questions and almost every New Testament author addressed it. So for this series, we're going to look at some of what Peter wrote and what Paul wrote and what the author of Hebrews wrote and what, Jane, uh, what John wrote about, about this topic. 
because the truth of it is beautiful if we just know what the truth is. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church in Corinth called 1 Corinthians about 20 years after Jesus resurrected from the dead, somewhere around 53, 54, 55 A.D. So they're 20 years removed from this event, and they're already wrestling with, what does this mean? There were, they're already struggling with it. He has a huge section in 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bibles, if you're looking at home and you've got your Bibles in your lap there, or you want to open up your app, take a Bible if you're here in person at the bookshelf and you don't have one, we want to give that to you. Huge section on the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. We're going to kind of be bouncing around, but I am going to start at the beginning. This is a huge section. I wish we could teach the whole thing, but I hope you will read it this week. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, it, it, this is what the Apostle Paul says about this. It's all about the resurrection. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So he had founded this church, planted this church about 15, 20 years prior. And so he is writing back to them and saying like, hey, can I just remind you what we built this ministry on. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. This is the gospel. Gospel is a word that just means good news. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the message of Jesus. For what I received, by this gospel, you are saved. This is the gospel you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise, and listen, look at this, otherwise you have believed in vain. In other words, Paul says, if you are believing something different than this, then you actually aren't believing authentic Christianity. This is as simple as it gets, Paul says. And if you believe something else, then you're just not what I taught you, and that's not the core of our faith. For what I received, I passed on to you. This is so simple. As of first importance, it's three things. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What's the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the gospel. According to the scriptures. He was buried and Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's that simple. It's that plain. That's it. That's the gospel. And then Paul goes on in a little bit, a few verses after that, to hammer this point home. He, he, he basically says, listen, Jesus appeared to 500 disciples, 500 of his followers. He appeared to all the apostles, all the, the women that had been following him. He appeared to his brother James, and now his brother who used to wrestle with him, now believes that he's the son of God, right? And, most, and then last of all, he appeared to me, Paul says. And the reason Paul wants to say this is that there were some that were saying that the resurrection wasn't necessary, it wasn't that big of a deal, it wasn't the central point of the faith, and there were some Jews who were even saying that resurrection wasn't even possible. Paul says, no, 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 it is central to our faith, and this is how he says it. A few verses later, and if Christ, because there were some saying, oh no, it's not a big deal. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So if you're like, is it a big deal that, that I believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead? Paul says that our faith is useless if we don't believe in this. Like it's, it's useless. 
More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. Paul says that I'm a false witness because that's what I've been teaching. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. I have preached that Christ died for your sins, that you are forgiven, and that Christ's resurrection gave a victory over sin forever. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And fallen asleep, when you write it, see it in Scripture, does not mean that someone like dozed off. It doesn't mean nap time. It means that they died. And he basically says, if that's true, then those who have died, and I preach this, they're gone forever. And then Paul says it. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. If only for this life, if our faith is only about this life, making this life better, if Christianity is only about making you have a better marriage or be better at parenting or be nicer to that mean neighbor or be more kind at work, if it's only for this, and it's not that it's not for that, but Paul says if it's only for that, then we are of all people most to be pitied. We're pitied. I mean, we have given our lives to this, Paul says. And if none of, it, if none of it's true, then none of it matters. If, it, if it's not true, then it doesn't matter. Then he's just another prophet that was killed, and we have all wasted our lives giving our lives to this. And, and then Paul says, after all, this is so good. After all, listen to what he says, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Paul says, I get death threats every day because of this. Why do I do that? I face death every day. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? In other words, if I'm risking my life for something that is just about making this life better, then I, what have I gained? And then he says, if the dead are not raised, I'll paraphrase for this for you. Party on. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, what are we giving our lives to? Why don't we just eat, drink, and be merry? Why don't we just party? But Paul's already hinting at something, that our lives are more than about this life. Our lives, Jesus did not come to make just this life better. Will it make you better at this life? Yes. Yes. Will Jesus bless this life? Absolutely. Does God still move and reveal himself in this life? Yes. But if the resurrection power that you and I want is only for this life, we've missed the point entirely. The whole idea, Paul says, is that you were made for another life. The whole point, the reality is that there is another world, there is another realm, there is another dimension, a life beyond this life, and we all want answers about the next life. We all want hope uh, for the next life. We all want to believe. Come on, come on. Sometimes you just sit there and you go, there's got to be more than this you're on your way 
same job, same route, same coffee shop, to do the same things, fill out the same reports, same stuff, same meeting. Didn't we just have this meeting last week? Didn't we have it again the week before that? There has got to be more than this life. That's our hope. And Paul says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And this is so good. So he's reaching all the way back to the beginning of the story. And he's wrapping it all up saying, I want you to understand what it means that Jesus rose from the dead. For as in Adam, all die. What Paul is saying is because of Adam's sin and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden, there were implications because of their sin. Death entered the world, and now every single one of us experiences death. Every single one of us experiences this reality, and our health, our aging, it reminds us of it. Like this is a part of our world. Our mourning, it reminds us of it. And so we are all captive to Adam's sin, to the death that reigns. But in Christ, all will be made alive. There are eternal implications because of Christ's resurrection too. That in Christ now, all can live as in Adam all died. You didn't get a choice when Adam died. When Adam sinned, we all experienced that death. But now we have a choice to enter into a new implication. But each in turn, but each in turn, Christ, the first roots. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul says there is an order to this. Jesus was the first to resurrect from the dead. But then, there will be others. If you're in Christ, all who belong to him. And after that happens, after all who are in Christ resurrect from the dead, when Jesus comes, Paul says, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion. So if you're ever wondering, like, and all authority and power. So if you're ever wondering, like, I wonder if that kingdom will, live, will make it. I wonder if that government will make it. I wonder if that nation will make it. I've got some news for you. All of it will end. All of it will come under the authority of Jesus. And after he has defeated all of that, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Is death. The implications... To his defeat of death that has cursed the world since Eden is that you too can be risen in Christ. Everything will come under his rule and the last thing he'll finish off is death. And it's a beautiful picture, Paul says, that when we die in Christ, this is not the end. But there is an end. This is not the end. But there is an end. So when our songs claim resurrection power and victory, this is what we should be thinking about. Now this gives me great hope because I feel like I have a purpose now. I know that I am an eternal being. I am made for this more than this life. I am made for another world. And I know that I'm going to come to an end one day. 
but I know that my children and my grandchildren will be able to stand at my funeral and go, this is not the end. Because Papa was in Christ. Because Granddad was in Christ. This is not the end. And I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. So, this can be a problem when we start claiming that God will absolutely move in this life. That we'll experience resurrection power in this life. And part of this series is going to be kind of unpacking a little bit and clinging to the spiritual promises of resurrection here and now. You can absolutely have freedom from sin. You absolutely can defeat the spiritual death that plagues our souls and the assurance that God has given us for a new heart and a fresh start. But here's, here's the truth of it, and we know this is true, and we don't like talking, uh, talking about it. The truth is, unless you are alive when Jesus comes back, death is going to get you. And I just want you to know, if you go to the hospital, I'm going to pray for you, and our church will rally around you, and we're going to pray for you if you get sick, and I hope you'll do the same for me. And I hope you will lift me up and pray for me. But here's, here's what we know to be true, and this is so hard to just kind of just own. For every single one of us, at some point, all the prayers in the world for our healing will be unanswered. Because even if I pray for your healing and the church rallies around you and we pray and God heals you, and I believe God still does that, and I don't understand why some people get healed from cancer and some don't, and why God seems to move and some don't. When we pray for someone and they're miraculously healed for cancer, have you ever thought, well, now they'll never die? No, they just, they just, God delivered them now. But someday... Somebody will pray a prayer for them to be healed. And that prayer won't be answered. And they might be 85 or 92, or they might just be just too sick, or God chooses not to intervene in that time. But all of us. But this is not the end. But there is an end. All right, so what's it like? Right, it raises a good question. What's what's it going to be like? Because I'm like, Sounds like a zombie apocalypse. The dead are raised. Am I still going to have this bad shoulder when I rise up? I'm going to be so mad if I do. (laughs) But Paul says, don't worry. Shoulder is going to be good to go. This is how Paul describes it. The body that is sown is perishable. And listen, we're going to see some minute. There's some interesting contrast in here in the words he used. It is raised imperishable. The body that is sown has bum shoulders, but it is raised throwing a 150-mile-an-hour fastball. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's some contrast here. Did you hear it? There's our bodies now are perishable. They have dishonor. They're weak. They're natural, and Paul says we're going to be imperishable. We're going to have glory. We're going to have power. We're going to have, there's going to be spiritual bodies. There are going to be 
totally different. We're going to be different, and we're going to have, finally, that resurrection power that is in Christ. This is going to happen in a flash, Paul says. Out of nowhere, Jesus is going to return, and I don't know when. Paul didn't know when. Jesus said he didn't know when. So if anyone tells you they know, they don't know, we don't know when. But when it happens, Paul says, we'll all be changed. The dead in Christ will rise. Those still here in Christ will be transformed. And Paul says, you can sing it at the top of your lungs. I have seen the victory. Not I'm going to see it if you're in Christ. And then this is, the, then how, this is how Paul ends kind of this, his doxology, his ending point to this passage that I've read over gravesides for fellow Christ followers a million times as a pastor when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then at not a moment sooner than that then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where O oh, death is your victory where O oh, death is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Then and only then, there is going to come a time that we can look death eye, in the, eye to eye and say, you no longer have power over me. There are two things on kind of planet earth that we can't seem to beat. We all know that death is going to get us. And we can't seem to get over this sin nature that is in us. The power of sin is the law, meaning that ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since God gave us one command, don't eat from that tree, we can't seem to get rid of it. Every single one of us has this rebellious spirit in us. And Paul says that when Christ comes in final victory, that rebellious spirit will be gone and death will be gone, and there will be no more sting or stench of death. And it is almost, it is almost as if Paul has spent 57 verses in 1 Corinthians 15 to get to his last line in verse 58, which is kind of his, so what? Therefore, since all of that is true, this is what this means for this life. Because you're like, okay, sounds good. I'm hoping that's a long time off. But what about, why does this matter here now? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. You should stand firm. Christ followers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. You, you shouldn't be worried about what's going on in the world. You, you shouldn't get all up in a tizzy over elections. You, you shouldn't be so concerned with what's coming across your phone screens or your TV screens or your computer screens. You shouldn't be worried about the ticker at the bottom of your favorite news channel. You shouldn't be asking. You hear the Christians asking like, what in the world's going on with this world? It's dying. You shouldn't be worried about it. 
Christians should be the most firm, the most solid, the most, the most standing still. Let nothing move you group of people in the whole wide world because we know what's happening with the world, but our faith is not in this world. And the world turns to social media or to conversations, and who's the most up in a tizzy about everything? The Christians. Oh my gosh, inflation. Oh my gosh, the gas prices. Oh my gosh. That's what Paul said. Therefore, since your hope is in another world, therefore, since you're going to have victory, you should be hysterical at the events of the world. Stand firm. Nothing should move you, Jesus people. And all you always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. You should commit yourself to the mission of Jesus, to the work of the Lord, because it is not in vain. It is the only thing that matters forever. Gas prices will not be high forever. But your neighbor's soul will last forever. Somewhere. Which one are you more worried about? That's the message. And our message to the world, the church's message to the world, Paul's message to the world, is the same message that Peter preached in the very first sermon. Jesus defeated death, and you can too. Jesus defeated death, and you can too. That's really it. And if you are not a follower of Christ, this is why we invite people to follow Jesus because eternity is real. Heaven and hell are real. The resurrected Jesus is real. And your death will one day be real. But it does not have to be the end for you. I don't want it to be. That's what it means when we say we're for you. Why wouldn't we want that for everyone? Jesus is our champion. And everyone is invited to the victory parade. Who believes? Christ crucified for our sins according to the scriptures. Buried and raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures. I just want to ask you something. It's like, how much peace, how much joy, how much hope, how much purpose could you have in this life knowing the two things that you can't beat, that nagging sin inside your heart and the death that will come to your body are taken care of forever. 
you can beat anything. You can take on anything. You can stand firm in any circumstances knowing that he is taking care of it. Your sins are forgiven. Your heart can be renewed and your death can be defeated and you can sing believing with all your heart and knowing it to be true I am going to see a victory Heavenly Father thank you for the victory that we have in Christ the victory that's promised through his death and resurrection God forgive us when we don't stand firm for those of us that call ourselves Christ followers when we when we aren't firm we're swayed back and forth instead of letting nothing move us we let everything move us remind us to stand firm and that our promise is greater than the circumstances of this world and Lord if there's anyone in this room that didn't know that they could have a victory if there's anyone in this room that didn't know that they can have hope peace Lord we invite we invite your spirit into their hearts and help them to sing this song knowing that it can be true for them in Jesus name